When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Aloha, spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange Live, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. I am... Your ringleader for the next 40 or so minutes, journalist, author, researcher of all things weird, Aaron Sagers. You can also catch me on 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel, the Mac Streaming Service, and Discovery Plus. And we are coming at you from the Ethereal Horror Fest in Austin, Texas. Yes, make some noise. Super excited to be back here at Ethereal and uh, to be joined by some fellow spooky nerds and friends, people that I'm honored to call colleagues and fellow mischief makers of the unexplained. Now, we're going to be talking today about paranormal and the horror genre and how one influences the other and vice versa. But before I get into it, and we will open things up for questions, so please get some questions ready uh, towards the end or just throw those hands up whenever a question strikes, it pops into your brain. But let me go ahead and go down the line and introduce my friends and guests for today. First off, at the far end, he is an Austin-based filmmaker, storyteller, and podcaster. He received his Bachelor's in Film and Media Studies from Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, in 2005. He has taught filmmaking and storytelling in Austin through organizations such as Totally Cool, Totally Art, Austin School of Film, and the Austin Film Society. And his debut feature film, all of you uh, film nerds should know this one, Dig, won the Narrative Feature Audience Award at the 2010 Austin Film Festival. And he has served on the film as film commission programmer and young filmmakers program director for the Austin Film Festival in 2017. He also launched his independently produced series, The Night Owl Podcast, which has won Best Podcast in the Austin Chronicles Reader Poll in 2019, 2021, and 2023. His name is Stephen Ballou. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Right next to Stephen, we have a makeup artist, an FX makeup artist based in Austin, Texas. She's a co-owner of Hogfly Productions, Inc., and has been a professional makeup artist for more than 20 years. And some of her many accomplishments include second in World Body Painting Festival for FX Makeup, fourth in the World Body Painting Festival for SFX Body Painting, and an Emmy nomination for Key Makeup for the movie Temple Grandin, and she has worked on many films, including 
Machete, Machete Kills, Friday the 13th, Bloodfest, Teeth, Stoker, and in addition, you can see her work on several, several TV series, including Mr. Mercedes, The Sun, Walker, Texas Ranger, The Leftovers, and The Long Road Home. Make some noise for Meredith Johns. Next to Meredith is an old friend of mine. That was not an age crack. That time was not an age joke. There will be age jokes later. Uh, he, he has spent much of his adult life exploring, exploring strange places, exploding, exploding, that too, exploding strange places from the first Russian colony in Three Saints Bay, Alaska, to the pyramids of Egypt. He's explored paranormal hotspots in more than 40 countries. He has a career in law enforcement as a law enforcement officer with more than 31 years of experience. He's worked as a hostage negotiator, a SWAT officer, a mental health investigator, as a sex crime and homicide detective. He's also an international lecturer and author of five books on the paranormal, including Detecting Paranormal, Diaries of a Paranormalist, How to Be a Paranormal Detective, and Roswell, The After Action Report. And his latest work, Messages from Mothman opens new avenues of interpreting premonitions and paranormal experiences, and he does have some copies of books which he will be giving away for the person that asks good questions during this panel. His name is Greg Lawson. Yeah. <laughs> there will be stupid human tricks to get the free books, yes. Brandon Hodge is an author, collector, historian, specializing in the history of writing planchettes, talking boards, and other spirit communication devices. He's long fascinated by the world of tipping tables, seances, spiritualism, and ghostly encounters. Brandon is a leading scholar in the occult field whose experience expertise is consulted by museums and institutions worldwide. He has served as on-air talent for dozens of popular radio and television programs, and his research and his seance artifact collection were featured on both Science Channel's hit show Oddities, the Travel Channel's Ouija-related Patience Worth episode of Mysteries in the Museum, and Brandon's research on spiritualism history has appeared in the pages of the Smithsonian Magazine, and his popular Ghosts in the Machines column appears every quarter in the pages of the magazine of the Society for Psychical Research, Brandon owns the world's finest collection of writing planchettes and other seance-related devices. All of those are featured on his popular website, mysteriousplanchettes.com, planchette.com, and he's an Austin boy. Yep. Make some noise for Brandon Hodge. Thank you again, folks, for joining me. My first question, and we can kind of go down the line, and if you don't have a response, that's okay, but I'm curious about sort of the origins, your horror DNA, your horror origin story. What was that movie, and, and actually I'm going to call out Lynn Lawson for phrasing it <laughs> so perfectly outside. She was saying that it seemed like every horror nerd, every spooky kid has that movie that they saw when they were perhaps too young and typically the, the channel or the VHS tape was popped in by some adult or older person that was, you know, uh, should not have been showing it to our impressionable minds. What is your horror origin story? Uh, Brandon, why don't you start with that? 
Okay, yeah. Um, so for me, uh, it was uh, renting movies in Marysville, Texas, a little small town. We'd go uh, rent VHS tapes, and for whatever reason, they allowed the Faces of Death series. Oh yeah. On just the general, you know, you know, not in the naughty room in the back, but just for general, you know. And so at the you know ripe age of 11, 12 years old. Uh, that media was being consumed, and I'm almost embarrassed to say, but you know, we're we're here local. You know, we're all friends, right? The one that got me, and this is funny because I, you know, I'd seen a ton of horror movies up to this point, including Faces of Death and what you know, real things. Well, you know, a uh, whole other discussion there. But the one that got me and made me shiver myself to sleep was Return of the Living Dead Part Two. The punk one, like the weird, I don't know why, y'all, but that one just, you know, my friend Rodney was a few years older than me. It was a sleepover, got popped in the VHS, mm -hmm. uh, the, into the VHR, and uh, man, that one got me. It was probably because we were, we were near a cemetery where his mother's trailer was, kind of out in the dark woods, and so, you know, when the, the toxic waste dumps off the back of the truck and seeps into the cemetery, I thought, that's happening tonight, like a half mile up the road. That's it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm down. So, yeah, that's, that's my horror origin story. Though. Any, any quote from that movie that sticks with you that sends shivers down your spine? No. 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 A, all right. Great one. Okay. I appreciate that. Greg Lawson? You know, uh, I'm going to have to uh, date myself a little bit. We didn't have VHS. We had three channels. Three channels, people. That was it. Uh, and uh, I remember I was, I was uh, five years old. I was living on Perry Lane right here in Austin. And they kept advertising Frankenstein was going to be on Saturday night. Frankenstein, Frankenstein. Yeah, y'all, the original Frankenstein. Not, I mean, but I'm, I'm five, right? And I stayed up. And I wanted to watch it, and my mother was like, oh, you're not watching this, no. And of course, I threw a fit, because I'm good at that. And, uh, and she goes, oh, you want to watch it? Okay. So she made the Jiffy Pop popcorn, the stuff that you do on the stove, and, uh, and some orange soda. And I sat and I watched Frankenstein. And that night, the blonde lady come to get me. I had a nightmare, and I woke up, and I look, and being a recovering uh, um, Catholic, um, I, I looked up at, at the sacred heart picture of Jesus with Jesus on, with his heart sticking out. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely, yeah, it was a bad night. I ran out screaming and everything. And yeah, and from that point on, that's, uh, that was my fascination with horror. You're well, hooked. What happened there? Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Meredith, I, I, I love that you're on this panel because you also make monsters. You make the nightmares. So... For you, as a little baby Meredith, what was the intro, the horror origin story? So it's there's actually a three-parter, probably. We'll go quick. But uh, my parents tried to protect me from horror movies because they thought I was an innocent, sweet little kid. But I snuck in and watched them watching Poltergeist, and I loved it. Mm. And I was like, this is amazing. And then my parents let me watch E.T., which scared the crap out of me. Same. Like, there was the glowing little finger next to my window because it was right next to my bed. And it, married. I, I still, I still have problems with E.T. Like, my, my assistants tease me about it. It's a problem. Other aliens, predator, you know, xenomorphs, no problem. E.T., ooh. Um, it's still a bit of a problem. Um, oh, God, the white, when he turned white. Oh, God. <laughs> Stuck with me. Poltergeist, no problem. Friday the 13th, no problem. They wouldn't let me watch any of those. 
they made me watch E.T., not cool. So um, the one that made me want to be an effects artist was The Thing. So oh, that made me want to do effects. So that's, that's my origin story. Yeah. Uh, shameless plug, we did just have John Carpenter on an episode I, of Talking Strange. Yeah. Jealous. The uh, E.T., it's funny because E.T., taught me to mistrust like government agents exactly, so, yes. and authority figures. This is how I am who I am. So there you go. Which uh, now only carry flashlights. Yes, yeah. They <laughs> they put the guns back. But uh, Stephen, how about you? Um, well, first off, The Thing is my favorite horror film. So yes, That's I agree. Um, that I discovered later, though. So I was, um, it's hard to remember how young I was. But our, I grew up in a small town that had nothing in it absolutely nothing in it. You had to drive 30 miles to the closest gas station. But we got a little cafe diner that opened up, and for some reason this guy, this old guy, decided to open up a small video store inside it. VHS. Um, yeah, that's the time period I grew up in. And I would just walk to the store and get stuff, and they wouldn't check. They didn't care how old you were. So that's where I was just like, finally I can discover horror. And I, I found a few things, but I think the thing that really shook me um, that really kind of put me on a on a path to like really trying to examine horror and not be afraid of it i rented the exorcist at like a very young age i have to give you a little backstory though i was an altar boy at a catholic church same same recovering catholic Four altar boys up here whoa really so i was not touched every 11 years i don't know how i did it i'm an intact male yeah And, uh, I just talk too much. But seeing that, like my the, my grandma's house, she's Hispanic, it was covered with the heart, Jesus with the heart hanging out. Um, so the imagery was really there. And then also just I worked with a priest every Sunday. And even during the weekday, I would have to go help clean the sacristy and everything. It messed with me big time, just thinking about how something can happen like that out of the blue. And the way the exorcist was done was so, it, w- it was done a little bit more atmospheric and and taking it the pace really slow where it wasn't like right away horror. So I believed the story that I saw at that young age and I was like, this is terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I think we should most definitely circle back to Exorcist momentarily. I'll, I'll say for me, I was weirdly a monster kid before I started seeing some of the monster movies. There was kind of, there's moments where I'm the youngest of five kids, again, Catholic family, and so there were some movies that I think I was absorbing through osmosis as my siblings were just talking about it. But I would read, a, I read this book about universal monsters and how all the effects were made, which then I started watching the universal monster movies. And it, was, it wasn't scary, it was more like, it was just my jam. It was kind of comforting in a way. But my mom, and she denies this to this day, would watch the Hammer horror movies, which were far bloodier and gorier. And those shook me a bit. But I think it took a while. I don't remember specifically when I first saw Poltergeist. And Exorcist was sort of the boogeyman movie that in a Catholic family is just verboten. You don't see it. But I think the movie that I first remember seeing that connected me to the paranormal was probably Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters, of course, written by uh, Dan Aykroyd and, um, and Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis, and it introduced this notion of paranormal investigators. And they treated the ghosts seriously, the phenomena seriously, even though they would kind of goof on one another. And they had gadgets, and they had this kind of methodology. 
So I was like, oh, these paranormal investigators are out there. And, and Dan Aykroyd being from a family of spiritualists just adds so much more credence to it. So what was kind of the moment within pop culture that you connected to sort of the paranormal side of things and you started thinking like, okay, this is interesting. Maybe that's out there. Maybe that's something that I want to explore further. Stephen, for you, it was The Exorcist? It was an incident that happened to me in real life, so it's a little different on my side. But The Exorcist really got me to start like turning my attention toward, well, what did I experience? Because I had a very scary experience that I talk about on the show, my podcast, and it's why I started the podcast when I was around 10. I saw The Exorcist shortly after that, yeah. and it kind of allowed me to be like, okay, what I saw and what I experienced that was really like terrifying to me as a kid, there could be something out there. And then I started to realize there's the whole world of the paranormal, the unexplained ghost stories that I was fascinated in. So what I think when I discovered Ghostbusters around the same time, it made it really interesting because I was like, well, this is like more comforting to like know that like people can go out there and try to seek answers as opposed to just be, just take on what happens to them and just not know what to do. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot like that, just kind of discovering my own personal experience with what I call the girl in my room who haunted me when I was a kid to seeing The Exorcist and then seeing other types of versions of paranormal films where it was exploring the paranormal in different ways, seriously, with comedic relief, um, things like that. Yeah. yeah. And certainly, like, the fascination with the paranormal for me didn't start with Ghostbusters, but it was when I saw, like, the investigators on a big screen, there was something about that that connected with me. Uh, Meredith, how about you? So I think, ironically, the reason that Poltergeist wasn't scary to me is that I had a friend in my room when I was a kid that would move. I had army men because I was a creative child, and I stuck them on the ceiling, and they would move around at night and make different patterns and things, and I was like, oh, I don't know why this person's scared of this. This is totally normal. Um, so I feel like watching it in the movie, I was like, is this supposed to be scary? Um, kind of was my, my like co correlation. Ghostbusters definitely made me think, oh, maybe they actually are scary, but my ghost is friendly. Um, I had invisible friends as a kid, everything like that. So I think it was just surrounded by it, and I thought it was normal. Uh, now, Exorcist I, was another movie that made me want to be an effects artist, though, because Dick Smith is mm. the guy I studied with. So that also, I think, because I had started to follow his stuff and break down how he did all the effects, again, not scary to me because it's, it's fake. It's made up and everything right. like that. So I think, I don't know why E.T. still scares me, but everything else just gets dumbed down because I'm like, oh, well, this makes sense because these are friendly or this is like, that's where my world went. And certainly peeking behind the curtain of the movie Magic yeah. somewhat demystifies it exactly. somewhat. But yeah, Poltergeist is also notable because we did have... In the early 80s, these paranormal investigators in the film trying to apply some sort of science or pseudoscience to the the phenomena. Sure, and, and everything that happened to the cast after that movie, yeah. too. There's that whole folklore that all the things that happened afterwards, you got to wonder, okay. Yeah. That, was yeah. real? We could we we talk about like that forever. For oh, like, yeah, exactly. You know, by the way. That could be yeah. a whole podcast, but yeah. So, Greg, how about you? Yeah, I, I hate to uh, to beat a dead horse, but um, yeah, it was Exorcist. Um, it was when I was a kid. My my brother long my brother would take me to graveyards and to abandoned buildings and stuff like that. We were doing urban exploration when I was five and six years old. 
he was 17 at the time, and he would take me out and do this stuff. So I did that with my friends. Well, by the time I'm 11, about is when uh, Exorcist came out, right, right around then. Uh, and I remember what that was like, what, what was going on. That was, that was one of the first newspaper articles I ever read. And I probably didn't read another one until I was in, a, you know, in my 20s. But I remember reading that one because it was so shocking. My brothers went to, this, to the exorcist, and they were so shocked. And we did the ghost hunting and did the, you know, I was the kid in the cemetery and, and doing the weird stuff. And then along came Ghost Story with Fred Astaire. Uh, if you haven't seen that, it is a fantastic, very well done, uh, old, creepy movie. It's mm -hmm. not an old, creepy movie. It's 1978, I think. But um, that one is where I realized there was something else. There's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of other stuff behind the curtain that uh, uh, I find very interesting to, to reveal. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Uh, how about you, Brandon? I mean, carrying that thread from, you know, that early exposure to, you know, what brings us here, for me, it's a slightly different media. I mean, uh, it's written books, but it, it does go into the televised media in and, and that, uh, for those of you who remember the Time Life Psychic commercials, yep. right? Yep. That is what got me. It was, there were two book lines. There were the multi-volume Psychic Phenomenon. Or mysteries of the uh, un well, Unknown. Mysteries and of the Unknown was a standalone volume that I that was the one I actually got. I always wanted the multi-part, but that was the Mysteries of the Unknown book. And uh, I recently gifted my now 10-year-old daughter a copy of that in hopes of similarly warping her because I finally wound up with a copy of that, you know, a used copy from wherever, and uh, I still have it. I still read it. And that, well, I remember this, you know, at a, at a young age, you know, probably, you know, young teenager realizing that someone had written that. It didn't just magically appear. There had to be someone that was paid professionally to produce the, you know, to assemble this research and to put that on paper. And that draws a direct thread from that teenage realization that somebody can do this to the work I I do now. Yeah. yeah. My my chosen profession started as a journalist, so I was picking up uh, repeats, reruns of Kolchak, the Night Stalker, which I loved, <laughs> still love, and then there was In Search Of, reruns of that, hosted by Leonard Nimoy. But those commercials that you're mentioning, the Time Life ones, are burned in my brain. It, and it was, it was always very, very serious, like, male voiceover of, like, a man goes for a walk and finds himself in 1875 in Ireland. And, and then like flashes to like, a woman experiences psychic phenomena and her twin across the world feels the burning pain of her touching the hot stove. And I'm like, I am both terrified to order these, but I need to have but these I books in my life. Books. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, I totally relate to you on that one. The I, I think with exorcists, let, let's kind of stick with that for a moment because first off, what it was, it premiered 1973, December 24th, I believe, yeah. right? So it is a Christmas movie. Yep. <laughs> Technically. Yeah. Um, but 73. Yeah. 73. Yeah. Um, we're, yeah, we're just uh, a month away from uh, the 50th anniversary. 
And and I also have to. He was not able to join us, but Joseph Laycock, who is religious studies professor in Austin, he has a new book out called The Exorcist Effect. It's a great book. Uh, please pick it up, check it out. A big big plug for that. But The Exorcist, a movie that was a blockbuster, had people lining around the blocks, lining up for hours to see it. It was such a buzz at the time. It was viral before viral was a thing. And then there was the news reports of people fainting and vomiting and, and cinema owners saying, I'm cleaning up vomit at least once per showing. And it just became a thing that people were terrified to see it, but had to see it, and then led to sort of this religious fervor as a result. So, yeah, and I want to I wanna talk a little bit about that down the line, and Brandon, I think you're a perfect person to start with, because one of the things that came out of that was, along with Rosemary's Baby and then The Omen, we kind of had this revamped satanic panic, moral panic that emerged, but also the demonization of Ouija boards. Right, yes. so, so speak a little bit to that and the exorcist effect as you view it from your professional standpoint. I mean, it's, it, was, it was a very powerful and culturally impactful moment. Uh, and, and it's one thing, though, that I, I... For me, I have trouble sort of reconciling... Um, modern talking points about the exorcist and that attribute and what they attribute to it as far as my discipline is, is concerned and how it adds up with the historical record. I actually just submitted a chapter to an academic anthology on the cultural impact of Ouija. And uh, it, I mean, it, it has an immense effect. It, it, it largely, w w that and the other movies you mentioned, uh, help spark the satanic panic where we're going to go after everything. We're going to go after Ouija boards and Dungeons and Dragons and witchcraft and, and everything else. Um, but also, uh, what I am very careful to point out is that everything old is new again Cyclical, with The Exorcist. Yeah. And uh, because there is kind of this modern talking point that what we see in a lot of modern paranormal shows uh, that Aaron can certainly attest to here is that we see this vilification of the talking board by, you know, many are very, very squeamish about Ouija boards uh, and, and other spirit communication apparatus as if they themselves are responsible for this possession. And it comes out of this moment in The Exorcist where Linda Blair's character pulls the, the Ouija board out from behind the, or the mother, sorry, pulls the Ouija board behind the dryer What's this? Oh, this is Captain Howdy. There's a brief moment. It takes up less than two minutes. And, uh, and then the planchette moves. And then it's just left to hang there, this moment. And I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later in the film, we have Blair spitting up split pea soup. And, uh, and you know, so the correlation is drawn that, well, you know, Captain Howdy did it. And uh, which is, I believe, the filmmaker's intent. But as a historian, we look back, so we have this modern talking point of the exorcist is responsible for this demonization of the Ouija board and all these modern talking points that it's this gateway to demonic possession. And the fact is, uh, it wouldn't take long uh, for me with any of you now, you know, pull out a tablet, do a quick newspaper research for any newspapers predating uh, the talking board, going back decade by decade, 
to the Ouija's creation in the 1890s and beyond to the automatic writing plan shit before that, even to table tipping and spirit wrapping seances in the 1840s and 1850s to find that that same demonization is so incredibly common and certainly nothing, nothing new on the historical record and specifically targeted toward these spirit communication apparatus that predate Ouija. But what is important to note is that it's now amplified through the lens of modern media and modern mass consumption. And so there is certainly an, an aspect of that where you know, we see this ripple effect as, as we are influenced as, as you know, in our younger days by this stuff, how that influences not only us as individuals but as, uh, you know, as sort of this collective unconsciousness to accept these things as true. Yeah. And, and I most certainly agree that there were crimes blamed on the Ouija board. The Ouija told me to do it kind of, kind of crimes that were, in the, yes, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing to blame. The, but yet suddenly when it's part of a mass media moment that millions of people are taking part in, it kind of shifts the narrative a little bit or a lot of bit. And to this day, I mean, look, like 15 years prior, maybe not even, maybe 10 years prior, it was used harmlessly in episodes of Dennis the Menace yeah. as just like a, a nothing, not anything bad, just like, you know, a, a little game. I love Lucy. I love Lucy. So, and it continues to this day, yeah. It's, it is now paranormal activity. You know, they use a Ouija board and it's the gateway, the portal to hell. It's uh, many TV shows kind of point to it. I also want a shameless plug. I do sell a tiki Ouija board. Uh, so I personally do not think that it is a gateway to any dimension. Um, but the tiki dimension. Yeah, you will summon spirits, but probably of the rum kind. The uh, Greg, I get. I want to get your perspective because again, like you, your brothers having seen this thing, the exorcist effect, being a Catholic kid. Did it loom large, you know, on your childhood, and do you continue to see sort of the impact of the exorcist in your paranormal research and investigations? I do see a lot of impact of the exorcist just all around. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's kind of on the surface. It's 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 bizarre. Uh, after recovering from being a altar boy, um, I, uh, I I I thought I would want to be a psychologist, and I made it all the way to statistical analysis for behavioral sciences, and realized I don't want to hear your freaking problems. So I switched, but I do want to know why you do what you do. And it's really interesting because if you were talking about 1973 and then the early 2000s, I don't remember when they remastered and re-released in theaters The Exorcist. I don't know if any of y'all attended any of that, but my wife, Lynn, and I, we attended it over in Pflugerville. Ah, it was the, in, yeah, walk, the yeah. new backing downstairs. Um, and it was a comedy. That's how much our culture and our society has changed since 1973. There was catcalling, there was laughing, there was uh, you know just jokes being made during the thing, and it just kind of me as, as for what I do and and what my background is, I kind of sat back and went, "Wow, that's how far we've come." So that's a, a little outside of the paranormal realm, but still, that's in a cultural aspect of how we view. Uh, this very iconic and influential film. So I've, I found that really interesting. Does it, but as that pendulum swung back, I mean, because that was late 90s, early 2000s, and then since then, we have had movies like 
Well, Paranormal Activity, that was 2007, 2008, I believe. Then there was The Conjuring in 2013, which very much brought back this heavy Judeo-Christian approach to paranormal, and it starts with a ghost and ends with a demon, and that continues to be in a format with a lot of paranormal pop culture now. Uh, So I kind of wonder if The Exorcist released now, if it would still be a comedy or if it would be back to horror. Well, you and I are friends with Andrea Perrin. Yep. And the, the uh, daughter of the family from the Conjuring. Conjuring, film. And, and the Conjuring film is nothing like what they experienced at all. Uh, yet it has become true. We have um, enacted this thing. We've we've created this thing that we've brought forward. In the 1980s, uh, I was part of a mental health unit here in in Austin. Uh, and we would uh, do all of our interactions with people that were having uh, crisis. And in that, part of that was a satanic panic. I ended up having to go around to a bunch of different organizations and do presentations on what was going on, what we were seeing at the time as far as the trend of people going into cemeteries and uh, uh, you know defacing things and leaving dead animals and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's very cyclical. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, generations kind of we, we go, we learn something, and then we have another generation, and we kind of forget to teach them that, and then that brings them back around to where they're, it's time for them to learn again. Yeah, I mean, I, I would predict that if The Exorcist were released now, it would be back to a horror film, and, and everything old is new again. We now are getting, uh, by Chuck Russell, who directed Nightmare on Elm Street 3, we have a reboot of the Witchboard franchise coming out, which actually looks pretty good, in my opinion. Um, but sort of tapping back into that the bit of that boogeyman superstition. Well, I mean, as a historian, the Witchboard films themselves added so I mean, much lore. About so yeah. much lore that did not exist. I mean, it's it's Pythagoras, so, right? Came yeah, from that. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, no, that, or, that that was an old one, right? Right. right. That, but uh, so much, you know, lore that yeah, that didn't exist before. You make it up for a movie, and suddenly it becomes truth. Suddenly, salt circles are the answer to everything. You know, and it's good it's protection. Just, it's right just there. the effect of media. <laughs> I really have to watch my sodium, so it's really not the answer. <laughs> High for blood pressure but medication, yeah. and I am safe. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, and I actually, I, I want to come back to that thread in a minute about the movies contributing to belief even further. But Meredith, did you have a, a thought about The Exorcist, or? Well, I feel like the interesting thing is if they were to remake The Exorcist now, we have, and I deal with this with filmmakers a lot, where we. Um, the sensationalism of the effects and things like that would have to be, like Dick Smith's makeup and that was amazing, right? Like off the charts, like mind blowing and everything like that. Now they would have to almost take it a step further and almost get, and this is, you know, I do love gore, but they would have to almost take it a step further and make it even more intense, I think, to get the eyes that the people, because when I watched The Exorcist with the remake, again, I had people laughing too, and I was like, dude, this movie scared the crap out of me. How Mm. is this person walking backwards down the stairs not creepy to you? But it's because you've, you've seen like paranormal activity, you've seen all these things where things are just so much more intense that now people are needing that intensity to to get the butts in the seats. I kind of I wonder how much of that just extends to movies that we love from our past overall. That if you sit a 10, 11 year old kid down now and say, you know, I'm going to show you Star Wars, the movie that rocked my world. Right. I just like, had that with Goonies. This is 
We showed white, we showed we showed the teenagers Goonies and Goonies holds up though. They didn't think so. Well, <laughs> I can I can I vouch like, for Ghostbusters. Oh, Ghostbusters held up. Yeah, with with my uh, seven and ten year old. Uh, and there's some rushed, super rushed effects on Ghostbusters. Oh, there's that some final sloppy product. ones. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think about Salem's Lot to the 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 window tapping scene yeah. that scarred all of us. You know, oh, oh it's so you can see yeah. the black drop and everything. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's just. But I think yeah. I think they're so desensitized now because they, everything that's been like so in your face. Like if you look at the Hostel series, if you look at all this, it's like gore porn, blood, blood, blood. And so now we're we're starting to take a little bit of a step back into more artistic nature of horror movies and such like that. Thank but you. Thank God. Well. But, and yeah, and I I'm going to counter my own argument here because I said if Exorcist were released today, it would be perhaps a, a horror movie, and and yet they did actually just tried they released The Exorcist uh, Beginnings. Is that what, what was yeah, the name of it? Like that, um, yeah. And it it did not do well, and it was well it made some money, but it was not critically well received. But they did try to push it forward, and it, yeah. as horror, but it didn't quite land. I think the way that they. Yeah, I think they tried it. to kind of piggyback on the Emily Rose kind of style mm. of The Exorcist. Cause great that movie, t- though. Yeah, it was a great Emily movie, Rose. yeah. But the new one that came out, I think they tried to marry the two together in a weird way, and I think that's where they kind yeah. of faltered. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be very, if they were to remake The Exorcist at this point, it would be something that would be very delicately done to make it scary for the whole range of people. Yeah. I, uh, Stephen, I want you to get your input on this as well, and then I want to shift topics. But did you have any further thoughts on the exorcist effect, I guess? Well, I think it's just also like kind of going what I think Meredith was touching on some things that also resonate with me is I, and the way I did the show too, it's like I, I think everyone has their own, the way they're coming to a film, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, I had a really terrifying, traumatic experience that I could not explain when I was 10 years old. And so when I, the reason I fell in love with horror and these and the paranormal especially was because I wanted more answers and I also was curious. And I think if you're going at it from a pure entertainment aspect, that whole sensationalism is what's getting a lot of these people and that's why they have to keep going further with it. And for me, for the people that like to watch films and feel something that feels a little bit more real and like the atmosphere and the psychology of it, those aren't as sensational so that audience is being divided. And people like myself, I really want to see more of the other kind, like Amityville Horror from the 70s that was all atmospheric. Yeah. And hardly any jump scares or, or things like that or, or special effects coming out at you. Um, but that's what The Exorcist kind of like did for me. It's like I saw them taking it. It was like a slow build to what happened, and the effects were there, but it was very... Sim- it was very good effects, but they were simplistic. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the whole story was very like a slow burn, like it doesn't get really scary until half past the halfway point in that film. Um, yeah. Well, we didn't have CG yeah. back then either, so that's a whole other element that we have to factor in. I, I've, I've seen some film, I mean, I actually think The Conjuring, um, although the facts of the matter might be slightly different, but the film itself I thought was very effective, but films like that, films like- Hereditary. Uh, Hereditary is great. But, but even Insidious, which I, I forget if Insidious was PG-13, but I sometimes do, <coughs> think those filmmakers that are able to stick the landing with the PG-13 movies are impressive because they have to scare more by showing less sometimes. Um, But, and just a button on Exorcist, there's no denying the fact that 
it was a great recruitment tool for churches, uh, Christian churches, specifically Catholic, and then, and then even like uh, some fundamentalist churches and the reports of possession and people requesting exorcisms skyrocketed. And that is something that kind of continues today. And the it's church, good for business. It has man. been. It was definitely good for the God business. Uh, so, so with that said, and and within pop culture, paranormal pop culture, we saw as a result that there was this push for again, kind of a Christian-centric ghoul, a, a ghost and then demon. Right? It's a it's a double shot. And not even consistent internally, but... You know. No, no, no. <laughs> but then we did reach this point where we got things like Korean horror, we got the J-horror genre, we got things like The Ring and Grudge, and that started introducing other elements in a big, wide world that was not of a Christian or Judeo-Christian ethic into oh. it. And Meredith, I want you to kind of kick that off because... You did spend a lot of time in Japan. I did. I lived in Japan for a while, and I watched a lot of horror movies when I was there, and still do. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about when you look at the different cultures is, and again, we tend to take a Japanese movie and turn it into an American movie with a Japanese base, but uh, the yokai monsters and like all the different like creatures and beings that come from their religious beliefs are actually very different, clearly. Yeah. from I wasn't raised Catholic, sorry. I'm the one person up here that was raised Bathlic. But, um, but basically, you're seeing a whole other perspective on it, and I think that makes it actually almost scarier because yeah. you don't, it's something you don't know. It's something you don't understand. You don't have a background on, oh... This is this particular monster comes from you know the mountains and it comes and devours people whole. It comes out of the TV, which is a whole another thing. But um, but bringing that aspect in and also how their culture sees things because there's certain aspects you'll see in Japanese horror movies and Korean, all those things that you wouldn't see in an American film because it doesn't make sense to us because it's part of their culture. So it's interesting to see that part come in. Yeah, and yeah. and people kind of becoming familiar with. Like the Yuri, right? Yeah, the, the Yuri, for sure. Different types of phenomena out there. I, I'm curious, anyone who wants to weigh in on this, are you finding there is an appetite for different kinds of cultural scares within the paranormal? Um, you God, know. I hope so. I, I mean, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I Selfishly, I mean, I think... I would watch all those. The show we do, Paranormal Con on Camera, we're able to talk about folklore across the globe sure. and and present different ideas but uh, we're also seeing a lot of films come out like that the one i've been mentioning is a uh, uh Bishel Dutta's it lives inside it came out recently it's uh, about a indian american girl and she's dealing with an indian demon you know so it's interesting seeing those kinds of things emerge are you guys finding there's an appetite for different kind of cultural approaches to the paranormal within pop culture i'll just say that um there's a certain allure that is built on the ever so slight differences between cultures that influence a lot of the imagery and techniques that we see. And for me, what I, I see is in Japan and Asia and China, uh, we have different forms of talking boards. And I love, and I cannot pronounce a single movie. Uh, in this genre, but there are uh, a, a a bevy of of Asian talking board movies about the different types that use, you know, Kukuri is the, the Japanese mm -hmm. version. And uh, 
you know, there are just these slight differences, not only in the appearance of the boards, obviously, you know, you have kanji characters or, or, or uh, uh, the, the different um, characters and the appearance of these boards that use, again, slight differences, an overturned teacup for a planchette. But one thing I love, and I see these posters, I think, oh my God, that is just so creepy. Like, it's, a, it's an automatic writing technique, okay? So automatic writing, the spirit possesses you, and rather than pointing to letters on a board, the pencil takes your hand, but it's a cooperative technique. I'm gonna put my microphone down to display it, where they lock hands like so with a pencil between them. And it just, cre I mean, that's the, that's the movie poster. It's just these interlocked hands with the pencil, and they're, of course, their eyes are whited out and possessed. And just this, it's just that different. I mean, here, it's this. But there, it's this weird, again, it's just a slight difference that looks alien in a way that, like, to me, the, the movie poster is enough. I'm like, well, I've got to see that. And it's just the way they're holding their hand. And to me, trying to track those ever so slight cultural differences that make it bizarre and alien and foreign to us um, in, a, in a way that creeps us out is, you know, the, uh, the, the important aspect of that for me. The recent film, I think it was an A24 film, mm -hmm. Talk to Me, it was, uh, you know, definitely a big success for indie horror. And what was I, what I really loved about it is they clearly had done their homework about horror and were pulling from different kinds of tropes and genre and whatnot, but also introducing a new mythology that right. felt very real. Did you see it? Did you see Talk to Me? It, they definitely lean into some Ouija stitions. I, I, get, the, and I get the text a lot. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it feels both familiar, even though it is yes. quite fresh. But yeah, the Greg, add to that. People keep saying that it's, it's dead now, it's dead. Zombies are not dead, my friends. They're not. Um, it's, it's across all cultures, right? I mean, it, zombies yeah. are, are everywhere in every culture. And, and you talk about cultural appropriation, it's not. Uh, each one of them are very, very different, even within the United States, even in Japan. Well, anytime we get a zombie script across our, our, our table, we literally have to be like, what kind of zombie is it? Mm -hmm. What caused it? Is it a, is it something where, a oh, which one? Can you call it a zombie? Can you call it a zombie? Yeah, well, it's not zombies. What they are is lethal. Uh, but Are they coming to attack you? And, yeah, is it coming into your butt? Oh. Is it a butt zombie? <laughs> Okay, so I watched a movie recently called Zombie Ass. Boom. So, Thank you. Uh, enjoy the curry chicken. Yeah. On the I mean, it's Japanese horror at its finest. I've My been friend to Brian some, will love this. I've been to some Comic Cons where things get a little sweaty. It feels like you're walking around <laughs> through a lot of zombie ass. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's. They attack watching. you in your butt, right? Yeah, they come and then they come out. I your didn't butt make too. this up. Y'all quit it. I'm telling you, it's a thing. It's a there's, thing. There's a whole scene where they're like Get walking on all fours backwards with things coming out of their butts. I can't. I. But it's great. But on the, I mean, on the point of zombies, I mean, the fact that it comes, the the it's notion of zombies. What's that? It's coming from a new place. Your it's butt. A new it's coming place, from a. Right, yes, yes, it's coming from a <laughs> a dark place. It's uh, the Thanks, origin of zombie <laughs> Haitian voodoo zombies that then became something very much co-opted by white people in, yeah. in, in horror movies. And then, of course, Romero, God love him, R.I.P., you know, then created the ghoul that then became sort of our modern notion of the zombie. Right. And uh, people have been remaking the zombie ever remaking since. Remaking it over since. But, I mean, with this, this idea of different kind of cultures. Actually, so Greg, Greg Lawson, all right, so I've known you for well over 10 years. A long time. 
long time. Uh, so going back to when you first started doing paranormal investigations, how many times would you encounter someone that would casually or even have a know what a gen was? None. And now? Everybody. Well, a, a lot, lot of people. A lot, people in the paranormal will know what a gen is. Do, uh, yeah. Show of hands. Uh, okay, everybody knows what a gen is. Okay, where we get the, the kind of pop culture idea of the genie, but very much active entity within uh, Muslim culture, Muslim belief systems, and it is a thing. It is a thing that is very strongly believed in. Mm -hmm. Right. So how much is like pop, pop culture kind of to blame for some of that, or is it the paranormal folks that have kind of spread that notion? No, I think, I think uh, uh, pop culture, I think a lot of the movies, a lot of the very fun Disney kind of movies uh, got the idea. They took all the really cool, nice, really sweet things out of what that is and, and, uh, and, and made it popular and it's okay. Jen uh, is probably not okay. It's probably a bad thing. Um, and uh, they're tricksters. They uh, in enjoy fooling humans and making you think you're experiencing E.T. or uh, a ghost, or they will manifest whatever you have in your head of what your expectations are. I, always, I, I do talks about um, what, what I call VABES, which are values, assumptions, belief, and, and expectations. And we all carry that with us automatically. And when we go into a situation, if we're a UFO guy and there's a dark shadow in the corner, we're going to think it's a, a gray. Uh, when a spiritual person would say it, it's a shadow person or in a demonologist would say it was something demonic. So we will, we will identify these things with what we believe in and what our expectations are. So. I think it's important, too, to note the influence of Dungeons & Dragons coming as closely on the heels of The Exorcist as it did and how incredibly influential it was. The writers pulled from every culture they Everything. could to write Everything. monsters for the what we call the monster manuals in that game. It's and, next and to my a bed. Huge influx of so other <laughs> other cultures, beliefs, uh, in these in these boogeymen, where you have uh, you know yeah ghosts are given like six different names and creature write ups you know based on just they were just borrowing names from other cultures and ideas from other cultures and. That was, you know, just an injection right into our, our cultural mainstream. It made it West. perfect fodder for, you know, to quote uh, Mrs. Lovejoy from The Simpsons, won't someone please think of the children? Like, to, to demonize it along <laughs> with uh, heavy metal and then later video games, you know. But Stephen. I'm just thinking about what Greg said, too. It, it just really clicked with me to think about, because my perspective of the paranormal is... I've been doing this for a while. I had my own personal experience, but I learned from my personal experience. I ended up going back and having to face that haunting that terrified me when I was a kid as an adult. And I learned that it was nothing bad. But what's what's what I think is crazy is that I think with films, they're cherry picking the bad for horror, Absolutely. paranormal. Yes. And I think, exactly. the, I would like to ask this panel a question, it's not to skip people, but I know Greg, you do a lot of paranormal investigation. Aaron, yourself, I do as well. I've never really been ever scared or attacked or, and I've been doing this forever. It's, it's finding these curious unexplained events. And when I dive deep and I take psychics to these locations blindfolded and they start to pick up on exactly what all the people are experiencing, <laughs> they start to communicate with the supposed spirits, they get answers and I find them in the history books to be true. And I'm like, wow, this is fascinating. And these spirits are typically just needing something 
or they have a story to get across. But where we come from and people that love paranormal horror might think that the world is a little bit more, the paranormal world is dark and scary, but I haven't experienced that. I've actually found it to be very um, enlightening um, and, and spiritually moving for me. So I'm curious where y'all come from. Agree. Awesome. That's what, I, that's what I wanted to start. I want to hear Aaron's tonight. take on this. So I have encountered things that I think are not nice. Uh, I've encountered things that I do think are dark in origin. However, I also think a lot of times TV, which I've been involved with a lot of it, but I personally, I think I've avoided getting caught up in some of this. I do not see a demon around every corner. I don't even really throw the D word around. Um, I think in the realm of ghosts, there's sort of like I, I live in Brooklyn and you walk down the street, most of the people that you pass, you tip your hat, people are gonna be like, hey, how you doing? You know, then maybe you'll run into someone that doesn't say anything at all or is, or maybe even someone that's like, Meh. A little, little grumpy, you know? And occasionally, maybe you'll run into someone that's actively a jerk. But rarely are you running into someone, if ever, like that's outwardly evil or bad. But I think whatever we're occupying here, right, in this flesh bag mortal coil is going to influence, if we're sticking around in some form or fashion, gonna influence how we are on the other side. So, but I have encountered some dark stuff. But I also am encouraged by people in the paranormal realm, and I do think a lot of people who are trying to do paranormal TV, not everyone, towards a move towards respect and empathy and trying to think about the human element and trying to approach things from a very humanistic approach. Approach things from a humanistic approach. Uh, that's how much of an approach it is. Uh, approach, approach, approach. But so I, I do think that that is kind of Shifting, I actually think there's an overall paradigm shift culturally, entertainment-wise, and how we look at the unexplained, and I think things are moving weirder in a good way as far as embracing a bigger picture. That's sort of my opinion on it. No, that's great. And I just had, like, to add on that, too, is, like, where you were talking about the different cultures. There's a lot of similarities, though, like, with, sure. the, with the Japanese the the horror and the and the paranormal there hungry ghosts out for revenge because something was wrong something was was wronged well, to we dwell them. on the negative yeah and then also in our culture a lot of the american ghost story is like unfinished business something they needed to take care of or something like that so i think there's a lot of similarities across the cultures that kind of touch on those things with the films that we do obviously though it wouldn't be very entertaining if there was just like not that scary it's or nice. there wasn't much happening hey, we're just yeah. bouncing down the street together so yeah <laughs> i yeah i mean i think we can tell scary stories about paranormal legends and everything while still also being authentic to the culture yeah. and and you know you could scare the hell out of people without exploiting other cultures and without um, turning everything into uh, and now you've got uh, a demon on the loose that's trying <laughs> yeah. to eat your soul. You know. Uh, yeah. I want to clarify my my answer though. Um, so I've been to a lot of different locations. All I've been to some in the Middle East, uh, some in Central America, some in the United States that were very powerful locations. 
I don't know what that was. I, I can't explain that. I, it's just a feeling you get. I always always talk about, my, as far as my experiences, are, are typically much more metaphysical than what I would say is what we would uh, define as paranormal. Um, there is a place in Texas, uh, Haunted Hill House and Mineral Wells. Um, I don't like that place. Uh, bad, bad things have happened there. Um, I spent, uh, typically when I do an investigation, I do 24 hours by myself. Uh, and that's just how I do it. And... I have no reason to go back there. <laughs> I didn't like the place. So I can say, yes, that I have that, that one experience that was really not, that was, that was not cool. Yeah. Uh, I've, yeah. I've been to others that were very powerful locations, but so. Brandon, on your end, are you the recipient of people saying, especially because you're so well-known and because of your website, people trying to, offload their boards being like, I got to get this out of the house because it's, it's cursed and I got stuff. I don't know why I'm using this voice now for it. But, uh, <laughs> because that's what they sound like. It's, uh, it's, sometimes. Uh, are you kind of the recipient of people that are like, get this away from me, it's bad news? Less so being the recipient of the item, which I, I typically wouldn't accept because it's almost always a 1960s era Parker Brothers board so hardly the collectible of, of the class i'm yeah know, i'll take but, it uh, like but but uh but no more often than not i and this is just kind of a hard line to draw professionally you'll have what seems like an innocuous enough conversation it starts off you know oh you know i've got this old board da, 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 and then the story start and um i'm i'm not that professional i'm not an exorcist I'm not equipped in any way to help this person deal with the psychological trauma that they feel they're going through, whatever may be causing it. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly not a, not a psychologist in any, any way or a therapist to help them through that. I'm a historian. And so I do run into a lot of situations where these people reach out. They need an ear uh, to listen and, and probably help. And, and, and they're reaching out to me for it as a, you know, using the board as the medium, no pun intended, uh, to, to, to try to get the help that they need. I'm not equipped for that. So I've had to, to learn to be very nimble uh, in, in my professional life as far as that, that goes to just yeah. dodge that because I'm, you know, I'm not a mental health professional. So. And one thing or, we, or we have in common is I, I too have been referred to as not that professional. <laughs> um, <laughs> Meredith, what I, I really love about your work is that by creating the monsters, by creating the nightmares, when I have talked to clients, the visual reference guide often is movies. It goes back to movies. And we see that with aliens, we see that with like, you know, ghosts and the, what, how many things I, you know, it goes back like, the lady in white kind of oh. idea that we see repeated time and time again. It's not that it's not true, but it becomes that re visual reference point. Have you encountered, have you experienced this moment where something you've created or contributed to then becomes part of the conversation as one of those visual reference points where it's like, I, I, I saw this monster, again, that voice, I saw this monster, <laughs> and it kind of looked like this. And you're like... I, I don't know, but when, I like him. When, when I think I'm going to stick with him for a bit. Me, <laughs> he talks like, yeah. When that He's guy text. comes and talks to me about my monsters. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we d I did a Yama Uba for a makeup demo uh, in L.A. years ago. 
a Yama Uba is a Japanese mountain demon who lures you up to the mountain with her beauty and then opens her mouth at the neck and devours you whole. And it's like really cool do. makeup. Very happy with how it came out. Super fun. I just did it for fun because I love monsters. And we've had people reference that. People make tattoos of that. People like send yeah. me fan art of that. Everything like that. And I've had people reference back to that one as far as like, yeah, I want the teeth monster like that. And I'm like, do you know what that is? Um, zombies come up a lot. They're like, I want to do the Romero zombie. I butt do zombies? The, no, not the butt no. zombies. You're just going to keep coming back to that, aren't I'm you? I'm just curious. This was his fault, just so you know. I uh, just want to let you know, Greg, this is going to be distributed oh, across sorry. the internet. Um, this is pre-recorded. My friend Brian, <laughs> thanks for showing me the zombie movie because now it will live off in infamy forever. But um, but yeah, we the ones that we get referenced a lot, we'll get zombies like Romero, zombies like uh, Walking Dead. There are certain styles of zombies that we get called back on. Um, everybody wants the, the American werewolf transformation. Sure. Um, Various things like that. That's typically what comes into our play as far as like visuals that people will come up with. Uh, and then the other one is, we want this, but not this. Yeah. So we have that zombie conversation. I feel like I have the zombie conversation once a week of what is your zombie? What does it look like? What is it like? What is it not like? And then developing the prosthetics and like how it moves, everything like that. And it's all like based on visual references in these films that people have seen. I mean, it's you have this like really powerful kind of position because you know what is pop culture except it's 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 a shorthand for us to communicate uh are you part of my tribe sure. are you are you someone that speaks my language it's mass items images things of that nature and what are memes except a very condensed version nugget of pop culture and what was the what was the one going around was it was it Momo, the um, the meme of the the woman with big eyes, right? Oh, so, yeah. an interesting kind of side effect is I've spoken to people who have experienced phenomena, and I've heard descript. They're not calling it Momo, but I've heard descriptions that sound very much like that. Yeah, I so, get that. The, what your your imagery can influence the belief and the visual references of people sure i definitely have people when we're designing like particularly like ghosts or things where um they're based in folklore like the the sleep hag yeah we've had conversations about that of like what does your sleep hag look like versus this person's sleep hag because the person that we worked with on that um sleep hag movie was called dead awake um they had had uh, sleep paralysis and they saw they had like a demon in their head that they saw and getting that out of them and designing the creature to match what they saw and then adapting it so other people now can see what's in their head is a really interesting thing to be able to do because now we create the creature of the exorcist. Like, mm -hmm. nobody's not going to see Linda Blair when you see the exorcist. Um, no matter who they put in that role, it will always be Linda Blair yeah. in your brain. Um, so that's something we really get to do is we get to like create these things that will mess with people in their nightmares for the rest of their life, ideally. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's kind of my and world. Contribute, and, and contribute and continue contributing to that, again, that sort of mass cultural phenomenon. Uh, another one I'm reminded of uh, is looking through the planchette window from oh, the Ouija movies. Yeah. Made up for mm -hmm. the movie, folks. Never... <laughs> Never in history was it said, if you look through the planchette glass, you can see ghosts. 
Never. Valid. It was made up for the movie. Yeah. And yet now people tell me, the Ouija board historian, no, 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 that's that's an ancient See, practice. it's interesting, yeah, because you know, that, like, that wow, was a it's conversation 10 years old. between an effects artist and a director yeah. going, you know it would be cool. Yeah. Let's put let's look through this and yeah. see these. And oh, what do they brilliant. look like? What and, do these ghosts look brilliant. like? It's a great narrative device. Like, it, it works so well. It's, it's perfect. And it yeah. feels like when you... When you uh, reference through the looking glass, look through the looking yeah, glass, sure. right? Like, okay, well, look through the the Oculus, look through the Ouija board. Yeah. It makes sense in a way. It makes so it perfect sense. It was per- and makes it feel like it's been around, around forever. Yeah. But we create you know, history we in create these it, movies. Well, dude, and, and then we, there's the whole argument about at what point are we also creating the paranormal phenomena because yes. once we start saying that enough, are we in fact manifesting it or bringing it forward? Yeah, did it exist before we put it in this movie? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Craig? The djinn, right? That's yeah. that's kind of, if you, if you want to go full circle on that, is that the manifestation? Are, are we thinking about something and then there's, an, there's a spiritual realm and there's an entity that goes, oh, they're thinking about clowns. Let's show them some clowns or whatever it might be. Yeah, well, uh, and I think that is a fascinating point and I... I would very much like to delve into that more at some point. But, but I wanted to ask you as an investigator, and Stephen, you as well, this notion, again, visual reference points, going into the home of someone or going into a business or whatever, and they say they're experiencing things, when you go in and you're kind of, have you had that experience where you're looking around and you're kind of clocking what posters are on the wall or what physical media, if they even have physical media, in their bookshelves or uh, entertainment stations saying like, ooh, there's a lot of right. a lot of ghosty stuff here or a lot of demony stuff here. Have you experienced that where it's then kind of influenced what you can expect from a client? As a mental health investigator back in the 80s, you would go in and uh, it, it's kind of an unusual thing because you don't have to have a warrant to go into somebody's house when we're not talking about law. We're talking about mental health. So um, you go in and you look and see what that person has in there. And the uh, the experiences that they will have will be very contemporary to their time. And in other words, uh, if I go to the Austin uh, State Hospital and look through the 1970, or I'm sorry, 1870s, 1880s records, um, the uh, admissions will be attributed to religious um um, consumption or masturbation. Y'all deal with yeah. it. it. That's what it says. Um, and it's very contemporary. You didn't see things like I was abducted by UFOs. You didn't see things that I was in, in, impregnated by uh, little robots in my blood. You didn't see those types of manifestations in the 1890s, 1880s, but you see them today, and they're very, very contemporary to... Uh, science fiction and horror and it's really interesting when you look at it you go okay are we creating this or is it creating us i'm not i'm not i'm not sure what's going on here steven for me too like i haven't had a whole lot of experiences like that because a lot of my cases are public buildings and like businesses like tattoo shops or restaurants or bars so they don't have like a lot of their own personal you know things in there but when i get personal cases i definitely look out for that but i haven't had too many of those. I only had about three or four personal homes. And in those situations, there wasn't a lot other than like their own spiritual beliefs and things like that, that I've noticed on the walls, like their books and things like that, altar at home based on like Catholic religion, things like that. But 
the things that I was, I have been trying to do with my type of investigation is I try to get to that, rule out all the things that could be possibilities first by not including people in conversations. So when I do my, my investigations, it's only me interviewing everybody and I interview them separately from each other. So I'm able to hear all the stories separate and just determine they're all telling the same story. They've seen things. And a lot of times you can tell someone that's sort of like easily swayed or easily like kind of scared by things. Their, their ghost stories are like the lights are going on and off. Yeah. This and that. Things that are a little bit less like physical that are a little bit more unique. And where I go on cases where it's like multiple people have seen a figure walk into a room or, you know, they're getting actual things flying off shelves, not just they come in, something's falling over. So I have to kind of look at things like that and then break down that sort of thing. I'm not a mental health person either, so I have to be very careful with that. Um, and I'm not there to give them the answers. I'm there to just sort of hear the story and see if I can validate any of the experiences that they're having. And the third layer of that is bringing in psychic mediums that don't have any idea where we're going and they come in blindfolded. And when they go and get the exact stuff that they're seeing matches what they're experiencing, then I'm like, okay, I think this has some validity and I need to, I need to give this family or this business some time because they do need some help. Yeah. And we try to get them those answers where we can, yeah. I mean, you, in effect though, when you're going into a location, this is sort of separate from uh, horror, but when you go into a location, you are experiencing some level of popular culture as far as a very yeah. concentrated ghost lore, ghost stories. Exactly, yeah. In a way, we could create the ghost tonight and say there's XYZ ghost, and then if enough of us talk about it and spread it out there, then this place is haunted, and then people, weeks, months, years from now, can come investigate and say, oh, I, I heard there was the ghost of this. So when you go into a location, you are still dealing with that pop culture effect yeah. of what they expect to see and what they expect to uh, encounter. Totally, and I just keep it me. That's the key. I don't tell my team, and I don't tell yeah. the, anybody coming in. So that's the thing, and these places aren't popular. I go to places that are not publicized haunted locations. Yeah. So I can do just that. So it's not like the lore's out there and exists, and they can come in and they're like, okay, I didn't tell any of the team members the stories yet. I've documented as a journalist. I know now I'm going to watch and see where the psychic medium goes. And what happens is like, for instance, on this property that we came here, there was a, a lady in a window at the tattoo shop that's right over here. And I brought her to the Spider House, which is now Tweety's, just to, just to have a coffee. I told her I'm investigating a case nearby. Didn't tell her it was the tattoo shop. And the psychic medium sits there and she looks up at me and she goes, well, I know you haven't told me anything, but there's a woman in the window of that tattoo shop and she's calling me up there saying, let's go. I got a lot to tell you. And that's where it's like, whoa, okay, that's not lore because this didn't exist. Yeah. The lore of that woman didn't exist yet. But, and I brought her here without knowing we were going to investigate that place, and it's exactly what people were experiencing. So those are the things that I'm trying to do to kind of get rid of that, because that's the hard part. You go in as an investigator, everyone on your team knows the stories. Mm -hmm. They're looking for that ovulus to say a word that matches, and a hundred other words won't match, but that one will match, and they'll be like, oh, it said this. So that's where you're kind of reaching in investigating, whereas I'm trying not to do that. And, and a lot of people aren't. Like, I know Greg doesn't, he, he's really adamant about just going in and being clean and working with certain tools that he feels he trusts, you know, things yeah. like that. Well, that's, and that's the reality, the reality TV or unscripted TV component of it as well, is that a lot of shows that have trained people to believe that uh, paranormal investigations means 
using a lot of gadgets that light up and make noises. And a black shirt. And a black shirt. And a, it can actually get in the way when you're focusing on that thing so much, you're potentially missing out on the experience around you. Um, I do want to open up to questions. I know we've been going for a bit. Does anybody have questions for these? Yes, Marina. Well, that, was, that hand was up fast. So I'm just going to repeat for audio purposes. Marina's question was with the new Exorcist Believer movie, not Beginnings, which I missed misstated uh if how they did kind of evoke the imagery and the spirit of the original in this new one i don't know if you saw it but if you have I haven't, I haven't seen the new movie yet um we've been getting through a little bit of film craziness but uh i have seen bits and pieces of the trailers and the makeup's great it's it's actually really nice that they didn't they didn't over-escalate it. Mm -hmm. That's the best way I can put it, is that like a lot of times nowadays they'll just keep throwing stuff on a person and it just gets ridiculous. Um, the good thing about this one and the original Exorcist is there's a minimalistness to it that just kind of like keeps the person human while making them demonically possessed. And when you leave that human element in, it actually makes it a lot scarier. And I think they did a really good job of that. I, I haven't seen the movie, so I, hopefully they continued that within like how they developed the storyline and the arcs and everything like that. But I think, at least from a makeup perspective, I think hopefully it'll stay within a good realm. I don't know if they bring a demon in at the end or anything like that. I don't know yet. And but yeah. In a way, that's also like that evokes a lot of what people report on so-called actual exorcisms or people mm -hmm. that are possessed, as far as. The facial features can be contorted and look a little bit different, but it's still them. It's sort of them, but not them. It's not full-on monstrous transformation. Right? Yeah, so, and I think that's which, what makes it scarier. Yeah, I agree. Whether that was intentional or not, from the makeup perspective, they kind of tapped into something kind of authentic. And I think horror filmmakers have an issue, too, in that the risk of ex escalation, the mm -hmm. further beyond the realm of you reality. Know, reality that you go. And for me, as someone who studies spiritualism and seance history, I mean, God, I remember, oh, what was the series? Um, oh, anyway, there was a seance, and it was just so over the top. So, you know, the, the effects, mm -hmm. the the gibberish of the medium going into, oh, yeah. the, it just, and it, it's so over the top that, uh, that I, I, it was, it was penny dreadful. Sorry for any fans, yeah, well. but you know that that early séance scene was so ahistorical. I mean, it was not even. It was grounded in earlier escalations of the visuals in the media, mm -hmm. not escalations of of anything his, based in in history or historical fact. And I think that's a problem that modern filmmakers definitely have. Way too. You know, it's far more preferable to to try to keep it grounded in reality. We try and, to have that know, conversation like every time we meet important. with a new director about their 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 demon, their creature yeah. is the more you can connect with it on a human level, the scarier it is because you could in your brain, you could actually run into this on the street, as opposed to this big, huge, hulking, like legend demon with giant horns and everything like that. You're not going to probably run into him walking in a dark alley. So pumpkinhead. Oh God. But 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 also like the more you can preserve the authenticity of of the era or of the moment sure. or whatever, if you kind of build that trust with the audience and mm -hmm. say, okay, we're doing what looks like a pretty authentic Victorian seance. And now shit's going to get real and we're going to push it beyond and get a little bit creepy. Right. You've kind of earned that trust to push it beyond. Sure. 
So uh, thank you for the question. Any other questions? Yes, hi, over here. And let me just reiterate, Hill House, Mineral Hill, Mineral Well? Yeah, well, Haunted and, Hill House and, and Mineral Wells. Yeah. And what was your take? You can go stay there. Uh, they'll let you stay there. What was your take on the lore, the fact versus the fiction? Um, okay, th there's a lot of lore. There's a lot of these, uh, uh, these ghosts that's supposed to be there, Shadow Man and, and this sort of thing. Uh, wh when I went in, uh, I secured uh, electricity to the property. I shut everything down. Uh, they left. They were very gracious, and they left. Uh, and I let the house cook for a little while, and I did uh, uh, metal detecting in the, in, in the perimeter of the house. Uh, I recovered uh, three items. Two of them possibly were related to a homicide that had happened there uh, a few years past of a of a girl that that was related to that house, and um, that was turned over to uh, Mineral Wells Police. Uh, and then I went in and I set up. I just do audio and visual and, and video. That's all I do. I don't do any spirit boxes or anything like that. And so I rotate all my stuff around. Different things happen during the night. Very uh, innocuous. I mean, uh, uh, doors that would open. I'm a grown man. I know how to close a door. I know how to lock a door. Thank you, people. Um, and I, I very carefully made sure that I understood how far that bolt went into the wall, how, how this in this door kept coming open, and then I'm checking it to figure out whether there's switches in there. I had secured the electricity to the house, so I don't understand what was going on there. So there was multiple things. I was hit with a rock. Uh, when I was upstairs. Uh, there was a couple of things that happened. Uh, uh, it was the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. I'm walking up the stairs, and a giant light came out of the, the kitchen and went by me. And that was, my, that, was, that was the pinnacle of my paranormal investigation right there. I was Your like, nope I, moment? Yeah. It was like, what? That, that's the deal. You know, I had a huge adrenaline dump. It was freaking outstanding. Right by myself, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, and I, I continued doing the rest of the stuff that I was doing. Two weeks later, I'm at my house. I'm in the kitchen. A giant light comes out. I go to track it, and it zooms out the front door. And I'm like, oh, I have an attachment. Something came home with me from there. And then I started thinking. My lovely wife Lynn, right over there, is uh, a paraoptometric. She works for an optometrist's office. I'm like, yeah. I'll give her a call. Hey, Lynn, I saw this big white light. She was going, get in here. You probably have a retina detachment. <laughs> I went in, they looked, and I had ophthalmic migraines in my eye. So it creates this orb. So God stole that experience from me. And I was like, <laughs> I, I had it, man. I had it. I had the answer, you know? You saw Bigfoot. Uh, I saw Bigfoot. It was, it was just glowing orb. So to answer your question. Um, I recommend you to go there. I have no reason to go back there, um, but it's it's a really uh, unsettling place. And and I would just add to that. I don't know that that location specifically. I haven't been there, but something that paranormal entertainment, paranormal unscripted TV teaches us is that uh, everything happens within 42 minutes of an episode, uh, yeah. and really the unexplained does not operate on a schedule that is known to us, not in my experience, and we don't have the rule book, so it's not, you know, open and shut case within 
one uh, piece of episodic TV. So maybe you didn't have it, you know, maybe <laughs> you just had a, uh, a, uh, an optic situation, whereas you well, might go there and have a paranormal experience. You know, we don't know. So uh, let, let, let's do this. Um, it, when you have an experience like that and something normal comes out of it and you realize it's not a paranormal experience, you need to tell people that. That's, that's important that you do I agree. That. Yeah. Uh, but uh, did the entity that came out of there um, cause the ophthalmic migraine? <laughs> yes, yeah, I got you, didn't I? Um, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know. Uh, we, we can, as logical human beings and, and scientists and stuff, we can sit and go, okay, this is most likely just a physiological thing that happened with me and it caused the bright light, but you could turn it around and say, did the bright light cause the ophthalmic migraine? So That rabbit hole gets really twisty-turny, right? It's once you start going down it. Any other questions out there? Hi, in the front row. This is a great question. How oh, have huge. horror video games influenced us specifically? I mean, look, I think it's worth noting that we talk about movies and TV shows, but video games are such a massive part of entertainment and such a profitable part of entertainment that they most certainly influence us. Are any of you guys gamers that want to speak to it? Not a gamer. Yeah. Oh, but lame. think about this. Um, all the people that develop the games, right, will tell you, oh, it doesn't have, it doesn't have anything. It's not going to make people violent. It's not going to make people do this. It's not going to make people do that. Yet they will spend 10 times that amount of money selling the same thing to our military to train our soldiers to kill people. It's just a little interesting on how that works, so. Well, thanks to Castlevania, I carry a whip on my investigation. Silent Hill scared the crap out of me, I'm gonna yeah. be honest. <laughs> but I do love Pyramid Head and all that. Those, those, the things that they've translated into movies and like cosplays and everything like that are amazing. And then look at Last of Us. Yeah. Oh, so good. Uh, the fungus monsters. Oh, the best. I'll, I'll show my age a little bit and that my last real immersive gaming experience was on CD-ROM and it was called Phantasmagoria. Oh, yeah. Yes. Fantastic game. But yeah, that was. And, and really, I checked out, I think, of yeah. gaming because of that game, because it was so immersive it was very and exploring creepy. around. I love to explore. I love to, you know, go into abandoned places. And I don't think I could get anything done in my, in my private or professional life now if I, if I had a gaming in it. I, I, would, I would want to see every you know, everything in Red Dead Redemption or, you know, whatever the, I would just want to see every, you know, thing. The, the way open, I do. The open worlds I, are dangerous, yeah. 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 You know? I, so my I'm, only yeah. experience was I grew up in a, my best friend's father was a person that sort of got me really interested in the supernatural because he wasn't telling me he had some ability, but he would see things in the house and have conversations with his wife, and I would overhear that, but what I would be doing is I'd be playing Resident Evil in Resident oh, Evil 2 with my best friend, and we would do it way into the night and have to walk. They had their, their gaming console in a cabin, yeah, separate from the house. <laughs> Terrifying experience out in the country, having to walk from that playing Resident Evil 2 into a haunted home because they were the, the family's home was supposedly very haunted, and I had a couple experiences there too. So the game, I'm not a big gamer, but I definitely, that game has a, a soft place in my heart because it really amplified the horror I was experiencing in that haunted house playing a, a zombie game out in the cabin in the woods. Yeah. I, I recall, this is 
way back, I believe I was an undergrad, there was a game called Fear, and it was F.E.A.R. And, uh, and what I found fascinating about it, especially as I was very much steeping myself into folklore and paranormal research, is how, again, I love it when creators do their homework. Not that they should be beholden to the lore. I kind of feel like learn the rules, then break the rules. But something about that game, they were accurately kind of reflecting certain elements of paranormal investigation and paranormal theories. And it was also creepy as hell. And you think about the experience of playing games, especially of that nature, darkened room, you're kind of, maybe you're with some friends, but a lot of times you're alone. So you're simulating essentially being alone in that haunted house. And that's such a cool vibe. The other element to it is Augmented reality games are really pushing things forward as far as bringing the ghost into our real world. Something like 15 years ago, there was a game spinoff or tie-in to a movie that did not really do super well, but the app game tie-in would allow you to insert ghosts into photos and whatnot in smartphones. And the impact of that was insane because I started seeing newspaper articles of like, man finds ghost in, I don't know why I'm doing old timey voice now, <laughs> but I'm gonna stick with it. Like, man finds ghost in renovated bathroom. And it was directly like a page boy, newspaper boy ghost uh, from that app that someone inserted in there. And maybe that person was duped by a friend that's like, oh, bro, you got a ghost in your bathroom. Or maybe they actively were trying to pull something over on the newspaper. But that was a very measurable impact on like newspaper articles reporting on ghosts and ghost photos and whatnot. But yeah, now with like uh, so many VR headsets, Oculus, I, I think it's really fascinating the paranormal that's kind of merging with, with our real world, with our VR world. And then just the other other thing, and you know about this, is so when Xbox first came out with their Kinect system, they had this, uh, uh, the, the uh, SLS, yeah, the SLS uh, Strite Luxure, Strite, what is it? Sensor Light Structure SLS Camera, anyhow. It's uh, basically, it was designed to capture humans as they're playing games so it would respond to them and then paranormal investigators brought it into the investigative space to detect ghosts. Uh, the SLS camera is designed to look for things that are human-like shapes. So that tripod that is filming us right now, it might try to pick that up and try to form some sort of human-like shape even though it's not necessarily a ghost, it's just a tripod that has, looks like it's got legs or whatever on it. So I think a lot of times that was carried over to TV shows and said, it's a ghost and the ghost is waving at me. Instead, it was just trying to like bounce around and find a human shape. But I have seen strange things on the SLS cameras where you're aiming at a flat wall, it looks very, uh, everything is very uh, static and yet you start seeing something move. So I have seen some anomalies that way. If you have a Tesla, 
drive through a cemetery yeah. and put oh, it on so and, and watch. Oh, watch that's, what yeah. you, that's that's an interesting kind yeah. of uh, um, way to look yeah, at it. If you don't if you don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube it. I I most certainly I love technology as it applies to the paranormal. I just don't want to overly rely on it. But um, I think there's a lot of fascinating things that are there's people doing interesting advancements with tech as it applies to whatever strangeness is happening out there. And um, I, I think we're going to have some fun stuff coming very soon. Um, I hope that answered your question. Guys, uh, before I let you go, I want you to promote your stuff. It's hype time. How can people find you and support you and all of your endeavors? Stephen Blue. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Um, Night Owl Podcast, Night Owl True Ghost Stories. Uh, you can find us at www.thenightowlpodcast.com. And yeah, there's many ways to support us by going on our tours, uh, subscribing and rating our show. Uh, but we're a journalistic type of paranormal investigative show where we uh, try to investigate unknown haunted locations in and around the Austin and Central Texas area. Thank you. Meredith. Mm -hmm. um, Hogfly Productions. It's spelled H-A-W-G-F-L-Y. Hogfly, like your redneck friend. Like my redneck hog. <laughs> I, I love them Hogfly Productions. Like Hogfly Productions? Mm. Um, so hogfly.com, everything's under hogfly. We've got the Instagram is hogfly underscore Meredith. We've got all that. Um, and much of you are filmmakers. So if you need fake blood, we have our own bloodline called hogs blood, H A W G as well. Not real pig. Um, as well as a few other supplies that we use for our blood business. And we make custom prosthetics and custom monsters and creatures. And we like to make your crazy visions come to life. So bring them to us. She made Greg for us this evening. Yeah, yeah Greg is fake. That was awesome. He's really not this old. Yeah, and my name is, uh, if you go to uh, theparanormaldetective.com, you can find me there, and also um, the Paranormal 60 podcast. Uh, you can find us there where I uh, read the news, and as I misspell it, I have to take a shot by time 45. It's a bad show. So, um, Dave Schrader, and sometimes you're on there. I have been on there. Brandon. Um, almost uh, all of my research and historical efforts uh, come under the Mysterious Planchette banner, pl mysteriousplanchette.com, at Mysterious Planchette on your social media outlet of choice. Uh, but one newer endeavor, uh, which is kind of fun, is uh, my partnership with my friend Brandy Knight on our TikTok feed, which is at Occult Archaeology, where we go, we dive into the history of uh, specific items uh, from our various collections. She's a fortune-telling apparatus collector. I'm a spirit uh, and seance uh, device collector. And uh, so there's a lot of fun videos on there uh, in short format, you know, uh, easily digestible bits. And, uh, yeah, at Mysterious Planchette, pretty much all over the place. Very cool. And for me, well, this has been Talking Strange Live, so I would kindly request all of you guys out there to like, subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with an enemy. It brings people together. Uh, leave a nice review. That would be swell. And also, if you have a film, you can reach out to us and we can help promote it. If you have a story of the strange and unusual, please email it in to talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. You can write it out, or if you prefer, you can record it, and we will share it on a future episode. And I would kindly request you to check out Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel 
and the Max streaming service, as well as 28 Days Haunted on Netflix. And you can find me on patreon.com slash Aaron Sagers, where we do movie live streams, tiki recipes, and a lot of nerdy, spooky, nerdy chit chat, and across social media at Aaron Sagers. I want you guys to, and I want to offer a sincere thank you to Ethereal Horror Fest right here in Austin, Texas for allowing us to put on Talking Strange Live. And please make a lot of noise for my panelists, Stephen Ballou, Meredith Johns, Greg Lawson, Brandon Hodge, and thank all of you guys for being here. And as I say with every show, until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Mm -hmm.